Matthew chapter 6 today, and uh, we're looking at verses 25 through 34. Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what, will, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet, I say to you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God, in his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. Thank you, Corey. The word of the Lord. Well, a while back, Dan was known to be quite a worrywart. He worried about everything that he could, his money, the future, his job, his relationships, his health. He worried about everything. One day he was looking through the shopper and he saw an ad, worry all the time, call me now. He calls and he finds a solution to his problem. I see him a few days later and he was just a new man altogether. What happened, Dan? He says, well, I went to see Dr. Johnson. And he told me that for a fee, he will do all my worrying for me. That's great. Uh, yeah, for $1,000 a week, he'll do all my worrying for me. And it's really working. Hmm, I asked, that's great, but how can you afford it? He said, that's his thing to worry about. Dan's solution for his worry Today's message is all about worry and anxiety. So, last week we talked about what Jesus was saying. He said, you cannot serve two masters. Look at verse 24. The whole section was about material possessions, wealth, anything created, any created thing, particularly dealing with material possessions and wealth. And he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
Now, that word mammon is commonly referred to as money. It's translated as money in another, uh, uh, in another translation of the Bible. Really what it means is, the, the definition is, is it's that which man trusts in. It could be anything material, anything created, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. As a Christian, you can't serve two masters. You can't have two top priorities. To put it really plainly, you can't live for money and Jesus. And you could put anything in there. You could put anything and swap money out, whatever your greatest temptation may be. And that's the context. And then so he goes on this week, and then he says, therefore. Look at verse 25 there. It starts with a therefore. Anytime that you see the word therefore, you should always ask yourself what question? What's it there for? Anytime you see a therefore, you always ask, what's it there for? Because um, it always is the culmination of something else that's being said, right? And so no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, and that's where we come in today with the message. Now, just as nobody can serve God and mammon, no one can serve God and the master of worry. Now, there are certainly many reasons to worry today. I understand, you know, will I get COVID? What about vaccines? What about Afghanistan? What about the border? What about Biden? What about China supplying the cartels with chemicals to make fentanyl? Uh, that's a bad issue. What about human traffic, uh, trafficking? What about inflation? Will I be able to afford gas? Will I be able to afford food for my family? Should I go grab a whole bunch of toilet paper? I'm sure there are more things that we could worry about. So I understand it. It's, we live in a world that's really filled with concern. But it is those who become overtaken with worry and anxiety that they either do not know that they have a Father in heaven that loves and cares for them, or they simply don't believe that he's able and wants to care for them. It is those that are filled with anxiety and worry about life that do not have faith in God's ability and desire to care for them. Now, today's passage deals with this subject. I understand it's a very touchy subject. Anxiety has, especially in the last 10 years, it's become a very touchy subject for people. And that's why I want to just remind you before we go further that if I share any opinions and you don't like them, if they're my opinions, please discard them. But if you have a problem with the word of the Lord, hey, look, I have a problem with the word of the Lord a lot of times. A lot of times the Bible steps on my feet. It tells me things I don't want to hear, right? And that's what part of being a Christian is, is we're worshiping a God that's perfect, that's trying to instruct imperfect, flawed humans and how they ought to live in a way that would actually benefit them, right? And so when we approach the scriptures, we approach them um, as this is a book of authority. That's how I see it in my life. This is God's word to me here today. So as we approach this sensitive subject, you know, we'll try to deal with it sensitively, of course, and, but we're also going to let Jesus speak for himself, right? Does that sound like a good idea to everybody? Yeah? You guys are unsure about that? I don't know. I'm not sure about Jesus. Uh. So the main point today, if you want to latch a hold of something, um, just before we get started here, since God has promised that if we seek him first, he will provide and care for us, we ought to obey his commandment to stop worrying and just do it. Right? 
Now, stop worrying and have faith could be the, if you wanted to condense it even further, stop worrying and have faith. Now, the outline's very simple. I was going to bring in Bobby McFerrin. Don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> but I thought that was just, I don't know. I felt kind of weird about it, you know. On the drum over there. Don't worry. The outline's very simple. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to go exegetically through the passage. That's just a you know, word for we're going to expose what's in the passage. We're going to look at it as like Bible students. And then at the end, I'm going to give you a six-point plan for dealing with anxiety in a biblical way. So if you struggle with anxiety and worry, you're going to want to write down these six points at the end. So I just want you to look forward to this. This is a biblical plan for dealing with anxiety, and Lord willing, we're going to get there. Okay, so number one, Jesus forbids worry. Jesus' remedy for worry. Number three, Jesus applies his message about worry. Let's jump right in. Number one, Jesus forbids worry. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Now, where he says, do not worry about your life, that is um, a command. Jesus is saying, do not worry, right? It's, it's not a suggestion. It's not some good advice. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. We're in a section called the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is speaking on a hillside around the Sea of Galilee to his disciples. And he's telling believers, hey, Christians, believers, do not worry about your life. Now, what is worry? First of all, I'll tell you what I think it's not. Worry is not practical concern about your life. In fact, the Bible in Proverbs, it says, go look at the ant, you sluggard. It says, look at the ant. Uh, you know, she stores up her food because the rainy season's coming. Ran, you know, ants can't swim. So the ant is wise, exceedingly wise, right? It goes and it stores up. So worry is not practical concern about the needs of your life. This passage isn't condemning planning. It isn't condemning thinking through things. In fact, the Bible commands you to provide for your family and to make wise choices and to be a good steward with your finances, things like that. So worry is not uh, planning ahead, being wise, or even hiding from danger. How about the Proverbs that says a wise person sees danger and hides themselves from it, but fools go on and suffer it, right? Proverbs 26, somewhere in there, 12, 26, 12. So that's what worry is not, right? So what is worry? Well, it's instructive to look into the Greek language. You know the Bible that you have in your lap here today? The New Testament was written in Koine Greek. It was translated into English. So sometimes we look at the Greek words to get more of a robust understanding of what's being said. And the word translated worry, I'm not going to try to pronounce it for you because you won't remember that anyway. And... Um, it doesn't really matter, but the definition in many Greek dictionaries says this. Uh, it means to be anxious or to be troubled with cares. To be anxious or to be troubled with cares. So he says, therefore, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be troubled with cares about your life. Another Greek commentator, R.T. France, he says this. Worry is the antithesis of the practical trust in God, which is the essential meaning of faith in this gospel. 
You know, you know what antithesis, it's the opposite. It's like, uh, what would you say? It's the polar opposite. Worry is the antithesis of the practical trust in God, which is the essential meaning of faith in Matthew's gospel. He summarizes it. He says, those who worry show their lack of faith. He says, don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on, everyday basic life necessities. Now, it's interesting that in Jesus' day, those basic life necessities, those were scarce, right? Not like our culture today where when we think of this, don't worry about what you'll eat. We're like, yeah, tell my wife that because everywhere we go, it's like, where should we eat? Well, let's go to this restaurant. Let's go to that restaurant. That's not what this is talking about. By the way, that's the biggest question in marriage ever, right? Where are we going to eat? You know, who's been married? You know that? Where should we eat? That's not what he's getting at here. He's saying, he's talking to a culture where they didn't know if they were going to eat that day, right? And so I find it even more interesting that Jesus says to that culture, do not worry about these things. I could see him telling us, Adam, stop arguing about whether you're going to go to Z Merrick's or to Pastabella, you know, like I could see that, like that's foolishness. But telling people that honestly don't know where their food's going to come from, telling them, don't worry. Don't worry about these things. Do not worry, right? So you have to get the culture, the context here. He says this, is life not more than uh, food and body, more than clothing? The point is, is if God gives us life, which is far greater than food or clothing, will he surely not give us what is needed to sustain that life? Right? Life is greater than food, right? And if God has given us life, will God not give us what it's going to take to sustain that life, right? Now, we're coming into this foggy season here, and it reminds me of an illustration I heard. Do you know that you could close down a seven-block radius in a city, like an airport, traffic with an average-sized cup of water? Did you know you could do that? See, the average size cup of water, like this big, right, contains roughly 60 trillion droplets of water if turned into fog. Now, 60 trillion droplets of water is enough to cover seven city blocks with a fog so thick that they'd have to close down an airport. Now, it's a vivid illustration of worry. We take something that fits into a cup and as we magnify it and as we worry about it and as we're concerned about it, it becomes this destructive force that could shut down the airport, you know? You're grounded after that, right? We're coming into this season. We'll think about that more. You'll think about that when I see fog. I wonder if I'm creating a fog in my life by obsessing over these things that are small, but I'm turning it into this big fog. Now, so Jesus forbids that anxious worrying that stems from a lack of faith. Okay, now listen, I understand that there are brain injuries and there are different physiological things that, you know, cause people to have anxiety. I mean, I was reading an account of a guy that, you know, was literally in an accident, hit his head, and he, after that he was completely paranoid the rest of his life. It was part of his condition. So I understand that. But what Jesus is condemning here is the anxious anxiety, the worry that stems from a lack of faith. Now, it's extremely important to get this, okay? This is, this is an extreme 
extremely important point when being delivered from anxiety and worry. Believe me, you're talking to a guy that used to be plagued by anxiety and depression and worry, okay, and drug addiction and all this stuff. I understand what it's like. So this is a very important point that I'm going to share with you right here. If Jesus commands us not to do something, but we do it anyway, what do we call that? Sin, right. Now, people don't want to hear that today. People do not like this message that this is enough for somebody to get up and go to a different church because um, for whatever reason, you know. Um, but the Bible calls worry that stems from a lack of faith, the Bible calls it sin, right? Now, if we're ever going to get right with God, if we're ever going to be delivered from anything, we have to agree with God in what, he, what his assessment is of our lives, right? We have to agree with God in his assessment of our lives. But I want to share some good news, though. If this sort of anxiety and worry is a sin, it's just the failure to trust God's causing anxiety. If that's a sin, there's extremely good news because Jesus Christ came to deal with what? Sin, right? Otherwise, if it's not, then you have solutions like our guy from the illustration. Or, or you're left to the devices of man as man practices different methods and tries to figure out or, or just masks things right? But there's good news if it is sin, if it's a problem that Jesus Christ wants to deal with, that, that it's good that he came, that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins and for cleansing of all unrighteousness. That's a good thing. And I'll tell you what, when I was set free, it started with that. It started with me hearing what Christians were saying, you know, nobody like in 2021, nobody likes that old country boy Christian that just makes it so plain, you know, that just is so black and white that just says, oh, you're worrying? Oh, you ain't trusting God. Nobody likes that guy anymore, you know? But that guy's right. We're growing out of that. We're, too, we're far too sophisticated today to take the simple truths of the Bible. So now, speaking of simple truths of the Bible, moving on, let's get into Jesus' remedy for sin. He says this, look at the birds of the air, verse 26. <laughs> Okay, wait a minute, Jesus, I'm plagued with anxiety, I worry all the time, and you're telling me to sit down and do some bird watching. What? Now listen, don't get mad at Pastor Adam. I'm not the one telling you this. Jesus Christ is telling you this. He's saying, sit down, put your phone away, Turn off the news, stop listening to other people for a second, and just sit down in the park and just look at the birds. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. They don't do anything to store up. When was the last time you saw a bird flying and he's got his wallet and he's got his phone, he's logged into his, you know, Robin Hood account, he's got, you know, investments and, you know, he's, you know, when was the last time? He doesn't do that stuff. Birds don't do anything like that. They, they, they don't do anything like that, but yet your heavenly father feeds them. Notice what Jesus' remedy starts off with. It starts off with the word look. Now that word look in the Greek, it means to behold, to contemplate, to discern clearly, to look at so as to learn wisdom. It means to consider well. So what Jesus is saying, okay, you're plagued with anxiety here. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to sit down and I want you to use your brain. I want you to think. 
I want you to think through things. Christianity is not like the New Age movement where what your goal is is to try to turn your brain off or like Buddhism. Your goal is to try to detach from, a, you know, from different things. You're trying to detach from all associations of good and evil and all this stuff. And it's not like that. Christianity is a religion where you think through things. You think truth. And so Jesus is saying, if you're plagued and you're worrying, it may be because you're not stopping and thinking, right? You're not stopping and thinking through these things. You're not using your brain correctly. It's not saying you're not using your brain. You're probably using your brain to think things that the devil wants you to think. That's probably what you're doing with it. Or, you know, but you don't have control over it. You're not controlling taking all the thoughts to the obedience of Christ captive. Take the thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. And we're not using our brains to think through things. And so the first part of Jesus' remedy is he says, think. He says, look at those birds. Uh, they, don't, they don't store up. They don't plant. They don't do this. Now, Jesus isn't commending laziness. Also, when was the last time you ever saw a bird just sitting there and worms are like, oh, that was great. I didn't do anything today. Huh? You know, he's not commending laziness. It's just that a bird wakes up in the morning And they go out there and they just do what they're going to do. And God, here's this stuff, but they have a job to do. And they go do that job and God provides for them as they do that. And that's what Jesus is saying. Think about this. And he says this, your heavenly father feeds them. Are you of not, are you not of more value than they? Now that's a good question for you to ask yourself today. Are you not of more value than a bird to God? Well, I don't know. Well, remember a few messages ago when Jesus said, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father, right? And he was trying to train his disciples. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to think of God as your Father, right? So there's an indicator. Jesus himself saying, I want you to think of God as your Father. Notice he says that here. Your heavenly Father feeds these birds, right? The birds, God's not their heavenly Father. They're part of his creation. But you have a different relationship with him. He's your heavenly father. You're to think of God as your heavenly father. And the answer, if you didn't know, is, I mean, you know. Yes, of course you're of more value than birds to him. You're extremely valuable to God. In fact, Psalm 8, you know, have you ever read Psalm 8? It's all about, like, the psalmist is just, like, he's just, his mind's blown. He says, what is man that you're mindful of him? You've made him, you know, a little lower than uh, the angels. And he goes on and on. Read Psalm 8. And it reminds you of your importance to God. And I'll tell you what, looking at the cross of Christ, seeing Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dying in the place of sinful man, fixing man's problem for him, there's nothing that's going to tell you that you're valuable more than the cross of Christ, right? And so, of course, you're of more value than many sparrows. And what Jesus says is he goes, I want you to sit down and think you to think through these things. You're allowing your mind to be hijacked. I want you to think. I want you to think about things that are obvious. We're missing these obvious things today because we've got a phone in our hand too much. We've got too much TV. We've got too much a computer. These things are obvious. They're almost simplistic. Don't you love Jesus' remedy for things? The Bible calls him Wonderful what? Counselor. Right? Look at the birds. 
Now, verse 27, realize that worry adds nothing to life. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? There's a couple of different ways this is interpreted. Um, a cubit is an 18-inch span, generally about here to here. Um, it was a length of measurement. It was a unit of measurement. And so who can add a cubit to his stature? The Greek word translated stature is translated a couple of different ways. In most of the translations, ESV, NLT, uh, I think the NASB, it's, it's talking about duration onto your life. I think that's the accurate translation. Another one would be height. Who by worrying could add 18 inches to his height? I don't know if you'd want to, unless you were going to be like a basketball player or something like that. Let me add 18 inches. But I think the point is, is who by worrying can add even a minute, even any length of time to their life here on earth? And so that Jesus is saying it's foolish to worry. This is another thing. First of all, look at the birds. You're of more value than they. And now understand that worrying adds nothing to your life. You cannot even, you can't do anything by worrying. It's absolutely foolish, right? You can certainly take time off of your life by worrying. And science proves that altogether. You can give yourself an ulcer. You can even, it's even linked to, you know, cancer, God forbid, in different situations. I mean, worry is, it might, okay, let's say this. Worry not, might not be the worst sin, but it's definitely one of the most foolish, right? I can't, I can't tell you how many hours the devil's robbed from me because I sat and worried about things that I had no control over, things that never even happened, right? It's certainly foolish. Now consider the lilies, verse 28. He goes, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, Look how they grow. In Israel, around the springtime, these are anemones, I believe is how you pronounce it. And um, they just blanket everything. And it's quite a sight. And so you can imagine as Jesus is given the Sermon on the Mount that he's standing there on the hill above the Sea of Galilee, he might have just said, look at the lilies of the field. And he says, don't you know that Solomon, even in all of his glory, wasn't arrayed like one of these? Solomon was, a, was the third king of Israel. He was extremely wealthy. He was a proverbial for how much wealth he had. In fact, I read that he crushed, had his servants crush up gold into powder in the mornings. So the people that were carrying his uh, you know, chariot sort of thing, so the guys that they could sprinkle gold dust in their hair, and so as they carried, they glistened. You know? <laughs> That's the kind of guy he was. He wore like white linen, you know, silk, and you know, and he was proverbial for wealth. In fact, the Queen of Sheba traveled to see him, and she said, I haven't even been told the half of what you have, right? And what Jesus is saying is, even Solomon, in all of his, you know, the best man can do, right, doesn't even compare to the beauty of a flower. And, and that's really true, right? It reminds me of when I used to DJ in Los Angeles. I used to play in Hollywood and all these different clubs and things like that. And we would come out on Friday night or Saturday night, and people would look good, you know? <laughs> got your bag, you know, got your, you know, your hair's all done. Everything's like all lifted and tucked. And, and, you know, I mean, you got your face painted on, you know, everything's good. Your hair's all good. But the closer you get, the more you go, ooh. And Monday morning comes around, still in the club, partying. And you're like, oh my goodness, you know? The best man can do doesn't even compare to a flower. You know, the closer you get to a flower with a microscope, the closer you get to it, the more beautiful it becomes, right? But the closer you get to man, the more you go, oh, 
Good gravy. That's what he's saying. He goes, look at what God does. Look how God clothes the grass. You see how God does? Why are you worried so much about clothing? Look what God does for you. You don't think God's going to take care of you if he takes this good care, this good a care of, just look at that. It's not even that he just, I mean, he even puts beauty into it. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? Why does God take the time, or, or however you'd say it, he's eternal, whatever. I don't understand how to speak his language like that. But why does he make things beautiful? Ever wondered that? Why would he do that? No man compares to the beauty of how God even just closed, you know. And that's what he's saying. Why worry? Because even the best you can do, God still, God's going to take care of you. And he's going to do it in even a way that's even better than anything you can muster up yourself. I don't care if you've got oil of Olay. I don't care if you've got Max Factor, Maybelline, your lip, lips, you know, liposuction tucked up. Every, I don't care, you know. It's not going to compare to, you know. <laughs> well, I can't get that picture out of my mind now. That was a real story. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And he says this. Look at, look at going on there. He says, now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. So what they would do is they'd cut all this stuff up, you know, at the end of the season, and they would use it for fuel. You know, they'd throw it in the oven. You know, if that's the case, something that just gets thrown away and burnt, and God puts so much care and love and beauty into it. Look what he says there. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith. Now notice, he doesn't say you of no faith. He's talking to believers. But he says you of little faith. When I'm worried about the basic necessities of life, Jesus is saying that it simply means that I am lacking faith. Jesus' remedy. Look at the birds. Understand worry adds nothing to life. Think about the lilies. Remember that your Father knows what you need. Verse 31 and 32. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. So essentially what he's saying there is Gentiles is just a word in these days for people that did not know God. And he says, don't worry about all these things because that's the kind of stuff that people that do not know God worry about, right? And that's his point there. Remember, your father knows what you need. He says, you, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. So you rest your heart in that. God provides for these birds, which are not as valuable as I am. Look at the beauty he puts into things, how he clothes the grass of the field. He puts so much care and love into something that's just even thrown and burnt up. And I have a heavenly father that's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And he wants to provide for me. And he wants to provide for you. Number three, Jesus applies his message on worry. Look at verse 33. But seek. Notice, notice what he said there. I don't want to go past that word. But. This is what the Gentiles seek after. These things they are worrying about these things. But you, as for you, instead of worrying, Instead of serving the master of self-reliance, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
and all these things will be added unto you. Now, prioritize God first in your life. That's what he's saying. And all these things will be added. God has promised, put him first. He will provide all that you need. How do I do this? Good question. We'll talk about that in a minute. Therefore, he says, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient for the days, its own trouble. Studies show, I was reading, that some of people's anxiety comes from the past. But really, when you think through it, it's the thing from the past may cause some results in the future, right? So some anxiety is just, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I can't believe I did that thing. I'm regretting something over and over in my life, you know. I'm stuck on something that I did wrong, and I'm continuing to regret it over and over and over again. Some anxiety comes from that. But studies show that by and large, most of people's anxiety comes from anticipating the future. Right? They're anticipating dread, some sort of punishment. God's not going to come through. Something's not going to happen. And so what Jesus is saying is just common sense. He's saying, just take care of today. Just do the things that God wants you to do today. Let tomorrow have its own issues, right? If you think this through logically, a lot of the problems that are in people's lives today are because they haven't been taking care of the things God wants them to take care of day to day, right? Now, that's not the case with everybody. There are victims in this world that their problems are purely the fault of somebody else. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the people that are obsessively worried because they're failing to trust God and they're failing to put God first in their life. The people that don't put God first in their life, a lot of the problems in their life are because they didn't put God first in their life. So what Jesus says makes total sense. Just start right now and put God first and do the things that he's got in front of you today, and then you can have some confidence that things are going to start going better in the future. It's just logical, right? So. Jesus forbids worry. He gave his remedy for worry. He applies his message about worry. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, I want to give you, as promised, a biblical plan for dealing with anxiety. I'm going to give you six points. Now, if I read them all once at once, you're going to try to write them all down, and then you'll miss them because I'll get, I'll get going. But I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you them as we go through them, and that will give you enough time to, read, you know, to write each one, if, you, if you'd like to. This is just a suggestion, Okay. This is just a biblical suggestion for a plan for dealing with anxiety. If you would, uh, turn in your Bible to 1 Peter. If you, you know, if you, I don't know how nimble you are with your Bible, but um, flip to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 7. And then we're also going to look at a passage in Philippians, and we're going to continue to look at our passage in Matthew. So, boy, you're all over the place. 1 Peter chapter 5. And friends, I know this stuff works. I'm a guy that struggled with anxiety a lot. I used to have so much social anxiety that before I would leave the house, I would have to get high off marijuana. Every time I went out, I would woof down like a bottle of ecstasy pills. I mean, believe me, I understand what it's like to deal with anxiety and depression 
and all these things, social anxiety. You know, I was the most awkward person in the world. You'd say, no way, this guy's gregarious. Look at him. He talks and look at his mouth doesn't stop going, you know. And, uh, you know, but you wouldn't believe it. But that's, I mean, I'm introverted by nature and I, you know, and, and I have anxiety. I mean, I, I did. But I can tell you that, you know, it comes back here and again. But applying this method to my life, I'm telling you guys, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's powerful. God's Word is powerful. You know that today, by the way? Does anybody know that? God's Word's powerful? Anybody know that? From experience? Yeah, amen. Here's the plan. First of all, biblical humility. I'm dealing with anxiety. I want deliverance in my life. I first of all need to come to a place of humility before the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. It could also read, casting your anxiety on him because he is anxious for you. Right? That verse that Peter wrote was written to Christians experiencing heavy persecution. And the context is, you know, what about these Roman Empire? What about these leaders? There's persecution all over the church. What do we do, right? And look at Peter's direction. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You see, Peter viewed the persecution that was happening to the church. He understood it was an evil, but he also understood that God was allowing it. And so what he says to his people is, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. It could say, you know, you could think of it like this. Submit yourself to God in any situation that you are going through, right? God, I'm, I'm dealing with some sickness right now in my life. Why am I so sick? God, why? Why would you let this happen to me? I serve at church. I'm full of faith. I put money in the offering box. I watched Kenneth Copeland and have name and claimed and spoken, you know, you know, how come it's not happening for me, right? How come I'm not better? Well, Peter's advice to you would be humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, right? Now, it took me a long time to, and I don't know if I've got it figured out. So when I, every time I start a sentence like that, I always feel kind of stupid, you know, like, oh, it took me a long time, but, you know, it's nothing like that. Uh, with a risk of sounding foolish. Eventually, God taught me this lesson enough to stop always asking the Lord to get out of every difficulty and start asking him what I can get out of every difficulty. Rather than saying, you shouldn't be allowing me to go through this, I start to say, God, why are you letting me go through this? Because what am I supposed to get out of it, right? And to me, that's me applying this. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is in control of the circumstances of your life today. Guaranteed of all of ours. God can change anything in a moment if he wanted to. 
But God uses difficulty also in our lives. He uses suffering. He uses hardships, trials to draw us to him. And when we're going to get out of it, what he wants us to get out of it, it starts by humbling yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord, trusting him, right? Trusting God. You know, it's like I remember when I went to the dentist and he's like, I got a drill. I got to take this thing out. And I had this tooth that I knew it had to come out. And I was like, oh my goodness. You know, and I'm, I'm, I've never been to this dentist before. Dr. Hardinger over here, good, good guy. And, uh, you know, he's quoting Isaiah. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah. And the more that I got to know him in that brief moment before, you know, the medicine kicked in, you know, I'm, I'm deciding, am I going to, you know, and he's, and you're like, oh. <laughs> but, you know, you humble yourself under his hand eventually because why? You start to get to know him, right? He's quoting Isaiah. He's a gentle guy. He's a Christian. Oh, he's got awards on the wall over there. Oh, sweet. He's got pictures of like horses up on the ceiling. I'm like, yeah, ponies. All right. You know, and, uh, you know what I'm saying? And eventually you can just humble yourself under the mighty hand of the dentist. How much more so under the mighty hand of God, right? You can humble yourself under his hand because he's, he's faithful. He's gracious. He's trustworthy. He raised his son from the dead. He sent his son to die for you. And if, if God would give his son to die for you, will he not give you all things that you need? Would he withhold any good thing from you if he would not withhold his only son, right? And so there's a million reasons of why you can humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord. And let me tell you, being delivered from anxiety, it starts right there, right? So number two, Biblical confession and repentance. You go back to Matthew chapter 6, where we were at. You won't be going back to Peter again, so you don't need to mark that. Back to Matthew, biblical confession and repentance. And we touched on this earlier. If Jesus says, do not worry, and I am worrying, I have to call it what it is. Lord Jesus, I'm sinning. I'm failing to trust you. And so God forgives and cleanses and delivers, but it you must, I must agree with him in his assessment of what's going on. I must agree with the dentist that the tooth needs to come out. Am I right? This thing's rotting. It's gonna, the infection's going to go into your sinuses, and you're probably going to die if you don't have your wisdom teeth taken out. I don't agree. I don't agree. It's just a matter of opinion, you know. <laughs> really? No, no, you have a sickness that's killing you, you know. Uh, and if you'll agree with me, I'll fix it. And that's what Jesus would say to us. You have a sickness that's killing you, and it's called sin. And if you will come to Jesus Christ and confess it and ask for forgiveness, he's faithful to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Number three, Biblical prayer. Go to Philippians chapter 4, please, if you will. Philippians chapter 4. So we have biblical humility, biblical confession and repentance, now biblical prayer. Philippians 4, beginning at verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. It's also a command right there. Paul is making the, it's an imperative. In the Greek, it's, it's an, a command. Be anxious for nothing. Okay. Do not, uh, I'm sorry, uh, wrong verse. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen to this promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's awesome. Biblical prayer 
consists of these different types of prayer. There's actually three Greek words in that little section described as prayer. One is like prayer to God. Uh, another one is, you know, petitions, bringing your requests. And then the other one also has to do with requests. So the key, though, I think one of the keys is the word thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So I pray to God. Say that I'm going through something I'm really nervous about. I'm dealing with some anxiety about a situation. And I go to God, and I'm going to pray. What Paul says is, if you will bring your request to the Lord with thanksgiving, then God will give you this peace that passes all understanding. So it sounds like this. Here's something really practical for you to do. When you sit down and pray, people want some how-to message, and this is a how-to message. When you sit down to pray, begin your prayers with thanksgiving. Lord, you know what? I'm going through a difficulty right now. I have sickness in my life. I've experienced the death of a loved one. I have um, a loved one's in hospice. Um, something's going on, you know, I'm worried about my kids in school. They're being bullied, whatever it might be. And, and you come to the Lord and you say, Lord, I want to bring these requests to you, but I want to thank you that you're faithful. I want to thank you that you've gotten me through everything. I want to thank you that you've promised that you'll never leave me and forsake me. And you start loading your prayer with all these thanksgivings to God. They're true things, right? And your heart is grateful for God for who he is, and you're trusting in who he is, and you're, you're bringing your requests with thanksgiving. And Paul says if you'll do that, you'll have a change of mind. You'll have a Has anybody ever experienced that? You sit down filled with anxiety, you start praying like this, and by the time you're done praying, the peace of God that passes understanding guards your heart and your mind, right? And that's what you need is you need your mind guarded, right? Because it's going on in your mind. You're thinking these things that are not true. That brings us to the next point. So that was biblical prayer. Now number four, biblical thought. Biblical thought. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Therefore, finally, brethren... Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, do what? Meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. There again, God giving the direction. Think. Think godly things. Biblical thought. It's what Jesus was telling us to do in our passage today. Look at the flowers. Look at the birds. Think about this stuff. The more that you think about uh, worry, it doesn't add anything to your life. We're talking about thinking biblical things. You know, your thoughts, um, you develop habits the more that you do this. You know, your brain starts to develop habits, right? And people that are plagued with anxiety are just in the habit of worrying. They're in the habit of ruminating on these things uh, that are either not true or, you know, paranoid and stuff like that. You know, you're, you're allowing yourself to think these things. And what Paul says is, I want you just to, you know, I, I love God. He doesn't come and just say, stop doing that. He says, stop doing that, but do this instead, right? Now, this is a very important point about number four, biblical thought. And so, so I want you to listen to this. It's impossible to think true thoughts about God if you do not know God, right? You cannot trust someone you do not know, right? 
I mean, Christians today that are, that are suffering, worrying all the time, fearful, is it not in many instances because of biblical illiteracy? Is that not true? Because if I don't know anything about God, I certainly can't think thoughts about God, right? Think about your wife. Think about your husband. The more that you get to know them, the more you trust them, right? Same thing with the relationship with God. The more you get to know God, the more you trust God. How do you get to know God? Spend time in his word. You want something very, very practical, read the Psalms, okay? The Psalms talk about the character and the nature of God and his power to deliver and all this stuff. When you read the Psalms, don't get bogged down with the stuff that you don't know. Just make a little mark in your Bible. You'll, God will answer it. But just keep reading anyway because the things that you do understand in the book of Psalms, they'll minister to you. They'll teach you about who God is. Psalms is my favorite book for that reason. It's got just, in, in my opinion, it has every aspect of the Christian life uh, in that book. And I love the Psalms because it exalts God and who he is. And the more I know him, the more I trust him. And the more I trust him, the more bold I am for him, uh, the more I get delivered from fear and anxiety and worry. And I just love it. So that's biblical thought. Think godly thoughts. A lot of Christians, that's the best advice that, that we could give them today is just start thinking the way Jesus tells you to think, you know? Number five, biblical priorities, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is where you've got to become really honest with yourself is, and is you have to say, is God my number one priority, right? Is Christ your number one priority? Believe me, I'm not trying to shame anybody here and say, and now you're thinking, oh, it's not, and this pastor's mad at me because God's obviously his first priority, and it's not mine, and I feel bad. And that's, that's not what's going on here at all. The human heart is constantly 24 hours a day wanting to make something else its top priority, right? To be honest, there are times when fish tacos are my top priority. You know what I mean? And I want them so bad that I'll even be mean to my wife or something. I'll be, Let's go get the fish tacos already, you know? I don't ever talk to her like that. But, but you know what I'm saying? The human heart is always at war. You know, it's, it's always trying to make an idol out of something else. So when I say make God your top priority, this needs to be a daily thing. I need to daily assess my life and to say, I have to be honest with myself, is God my top priority, you know? Picture yourself on the couch of the wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ himself. And he says, I have a prescription for you. It's, it involves biblical humility, biblical confession, prayer, thought, and priorities. And the last one that the mighty physician, the wonderful counselor would add is he would say, take biblical action. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Paul says, these things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Biblical action. Paul was telling his brothers and sisters in Philippi, you've seen how I live. Do that. Right? What did they see? They saw Paul serving the Lord. They saw Paul worshiping the Lord. They saw Paul praying to the Lord. They saw Paul in Philippi. If you remember the story, he got locked up in jail there. And, uh, you know, they saw Paul 
doing things in the kingdom of God. They saw that. And that's what Paul's saying. He goes, you know, the, the life that I have following Jesus Christ, do what I do. Right? So that's, that's the plan for dealing with anxiety in a biblical way, right? First of all, it starts with humbling yourself before God. Wait a minute, God, I'm, I'm taking too much on myself. You're God, I'm not. You're in control, I'm not in control. I submit, I surrender, right? Uh, confession and repentance. Next time I'm worrying and filled with anxiety, I'm not going to run to somebody that coddles me. I'm going to say, you know what? This is sinful. I'm failing to trust the Lord right now, and I'm lacking in faith, and it's a sin. And I'm going to confess it to my Lord and be honest with him. And the next one, biblical prayer, I'm going to pray with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that you've allowed me into this situation. Sure, I'm dealing with it inappropriately. I'm sinning. I'm worrying. But I want to thank you for the situation because I understand if I do this correctly, it's going to bring me closer to you, right? I'm thanking God, right? Uh, biblical thought, I'm going to memorize scripture, you know? I'm going to get in the word of God to the point to where, you know, if you come up and hug me, the word of God fall out of my mouth, hopefully. You know, like that's the goal, right? You want it so much in your mind. Biblical priorities, I need to constantly be assessing my priorities, looking at my calendar, looking at my bank account, looking at my uh, schedule, you know, all these different things, looking at my relationships. And then I'm going to need to take biblical action. I'm not going to be one of these Christians that sits there and listens to sermon after sermon and just doesn't do anything about it. I'm going to be the person that does something. Now, I really want to challenge you today because if you'll do this, you'll get delivered. You'll get delivered. God wants to deliver you. He wants to have that sort of relationship with you where you trust him. He wants to be that for you. Maybe you've never come to know the Lord today in a saving way at all. Maybe you don't understand that he's your heavenly father. I want to give you that opportunity now. And it starts by just admitting that you've broken his laws, that you've sinned, that you've fallen short of the glory of God, that you've, you know, You've committed sin. I've committed sin. We've lied. We've cheated. We've stolen. We've thought lustful thoughts. We've failed to do the right thing. We're all sinners. The Bible says that every man's fallen. Every man has fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of his glory. So coming to know God, it first starts with admitting uh, that we've broken his laws. We have to agree with him in his assessment of us. A lot of people will get stuck at this point that don't know the Lord, and they say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I've never killed anybody. Well, okay. You might be good compared to other people. That may be true. But we're to compare ourselves next to Jesus Christ. We're to, next to God, we're all flawed, right? So it starts by us admitting that. Okay, Lord, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I understand. The second step in coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, now that you've agreed with God about your sin, is to believe in the provision for your sin that he sent. And the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. That means because I've broken God's laws, what God has determined as the judge of the universe, as he's determined that I will suffer eternal punishment for my sins. This is what the God 
the creator of this universe, has decided. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is righteousness in Christ Jesus. So the appropriate penalty for my sin is death, but yet Jesus, God came in the form of Jesus Christ to take that penalty I deserve upon himself. This is clearly what the Bible teaches, that either when I die, I can suffer for my own sins eternally in hell apart from God, or I can accept what he's done in Jesus Christ, that he's come, that he's come to die in my place, to take the penalty that I deserve upon himself. Now God says, if I will believe in that, if I will trust in that, that I'll be forgiven. I'll be forgiven of my sin and I'll be saved. So if you want to be saved here today, it starts with admitting that you've broken God's law and then trusting, believing in Jesus Christ as your substitute, as the one that died in your place, and trusting in him to bring you to heaven. Then if somebody would say, hey, if you die tonight, how do you know I'm going to go to heaven? You wouldn't say something as foolish like, well, I'll get up there, and when I see God, uh, he'll know that I'm a pretty good person, and he'll let me into heaven. It doesn't work like that understand the gospel and somebody said how do you know that if you were to die tonight that you would go to heaven you'd say because Jesus Christ died for my sins so father we thank you for your word here today and I thank you for the power God of your Holy Spirit the delivering power uh, that you graciously give to us that you break the chains of sin and darkness Pray, Father, for anybody here today that's been struggling with anxiety, God, that in this moment, Father, supernaturally, that your Holy Spirit would minister to them everything that they need, that they would have their hearts open to you. Lord, remove any defensiveness. Father, I pray that you would remove any offense that's come from me, just as a human up here, so that your message for individual hearts would ring through. I pray that you would do a work of deliverance in here today. Pray, Father, for anybody here today that doesn't know you as a father, that they would admit that they've fallen short of your glory, they'd confess their sin to you, that they would come and receive the love that you have for them, the new life that you have for them in Christ. Father, unto you we lift our hearts, the God of all grace, the God of mercy, the God of long-suffering, the God of peace, the God of calm, the God that speaks, the God who loves us, the God who sent his only Son to suffer that we might be in a relationship. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Thank you that you are a wonderful counselor. Mighty God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.